Okay, so this is going to be an emergency podcast. It finally happened. One of the all-time legendary players in tennis has decided to retire. You know, uh, so I, you know, I have no notes for this podcast at all, like I did for the uh, other couple ones that I did. This is going to be completely stream of consciousness, on the fly, reacting to this news pretty much as live as it can get. Pretty much my initial reaction is now. I found out probably in the last 30 minutes, and 15 of those were driving back from my morning walk, and now I, now here I am doing the podcast. So if it's not polished, sorry for that. So, you know, let's start with the news itself. Serena Williams um, apparently retiring. I have not read the Vogue article yet. I've got it here. I'm going to take a look at it live on the air. So, again, you get my immediate, honest reaction. And for some of you out there, if you didn't read the piece and you want to listen to it... um, I'll just kind of read out read it out loud here. Okay. So, Vogue article. Serena Williams says farewell to tennis on her own terms and in her own words. This morning, my daughter Olympia, who turns five this month, and I were on our way to get her a new passport before a trip to Europe. We're in my car, and she's holding my phone using an interactive educational app she likes. This robot voice asks her a question. What do you want to be when you grow up? She doesn't know I'm listening, but I can hear the answer she whispers into the phone. She says, I want to be a big sister. Olympia says this a lot, even when she knows I'm listening. Sometimes before bed, she prays to Jehovah to bring her a baby sister. She doesn't want anything to do with a boy. I'm the youngest of five sisters myself, and my sisters are my heroes, so this has felt like a moment I need to listen very carefully to. Believe me, I never wanted to have to choose between tennis and a family. I don't think it's fair. If I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this, because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. Maybe I'd be more of a Tom Brady if I had that opportunity. (laughs) Again, I'm reading this live here for the first time. Continuing, Don't get me wrong, I love being a woman, and I loved every second of being pregnant with Olympia. I was one of those annoying women who adored being pregnant and was working until the day I had to report to the hospital, although things got super complicated on the other side. I almost did do the impossible. A lot of people don't realize that I was two months pregnant when I won the Australian Open in 2017, but I'm turning 41 this month, and something's got to give. I have never liked the word retirement. It doesn't feel like a modern word to me. I've been thinking of this as a transition, but I want to be sensitive about how I use that word, which means something very specific and important to a community of people. Maybe the best word to describe what I'm up to is evolution. I'm here to tell you that I'm evolving away from tennis toward other things that are important to me. 
A few years ago, I quietly started Serena Ventures, a venture capital firm. Soon after that, I started a family. I want to grow that family. Okay, this is Trip now, just stepping away from the story a little bit. I mean, as all of you know that are listening, Serena has had interests outside of tennis for literal decades as a player. You know, the fashion, the venture capitalist firm, the King Richard film. Um, and she has focused on these things that are important to her already. So it's not like that's a new thing. And she was very unlike other players in that regard. That was always something that distinguished Serena was her interests away from tennis that she actively pursued during her professional career. Okay, continuing now with the story. But I've been reluctant to admit to myself or anyone else that I have to move on from playing tennis. Alexis, my husband, and I have hardly talked about it. It's like a taboo topic. I can't even have this conversation with my mom and dad. Again, her dad, you know, Richard Williams, that story is well known. Continuing, it's like it's not real until you say it out loud. It comes up, I get an uncomfortable lump in my throat, and I start to cry. The only person I've really gone there with is my therapist. One thing I'm not going to do is sugarcoat this. I know that a lot of people are excited about and look forward to retiring, and I really wish I felt that way. Ashley Barty was number one in the world when she left the sport this March, and I believe she really felt ready to move on. Carolyn Wozniacki, who was one of my best friends, felt a sense of relief when she retired in 2020. Praise to these people, but I'm going to be honest. There is no happiness in this topic for me. I know it's not the usual thing to say, but I feel a great deal of pain. It's the hardest thing that I could ever imagine. I hate it. I hate that I have to be at this crossroads. I keep saying to myself, I wish it could be easy for me, but it's not. I'm torn. I don't want it to be over, but at the same time, I'm ready for what's next. I don't know how I'm going to be able to look at this magazine when it comes out, knowing that this is it. The end of a story that started in Compton, California, with a little black girl who just wanted to play tennis. This sport has given me so much. I love to win. I love the battle. I love to entertain. I'm not sure every player sees it that way, but I love the performance aspect of it. Yes, she does to be able to entertain people week after week. Some of the happiest times in my life were spent waiting in that hallway in Melbourne and walking out into Rod Laver Arena with my earphones in and trying to stay focused and drown out the noise, but still feeling the energy of the crowd. Night matches in Arthur Ashe Stadium at Flushing Meadows. Hitting an ace on set point. My whole life up to now has been tennis. My dad says I first picked up a racket when I was three, but I think it was even earlier. There's a picture of Venus pushing me in a stroller on a tennis court, and I couldn't have been more than 18 months. Unlike Venus, who's always been stoic and classy, I've never been one to contain my emotions. Yeah, that would be accurate. I remember learning to write my alphabet for kindergarten and not doing it perfectly and crying all night. I was so angry about it. I had to erase and rewrite that A over and over, 
and my mother let me stay up all night while my sisters were in bed. That's always been me. I want to be great. I want to be perfect. I know perfect doesn't exist, but whatever my perfect was, I never wanted to stop until I got it right. To me, that's kind of the essence of being Serena, expecting the best from myself and proving people wrong. There were so many matches I won because something made me angry or someone counted me out. That drove me. I've built a career on channeling anger and negativity and turning it into something good. My sister Venus once said that when someone out there says you can't do something, it's because they can't do it. But I did do it, and so can you. Continuing with this story from Vogue, which I'm seeing for the first time as I'm reading it out loud. If you watched King Richard, then you know that when I was little, I was not very good at tennis. I was so sad when I didn't get all the early opportunities that Venus got, but that helped me. It made me work harder, turning me into a savage fighter. I'd travel to tournaments with Venus as her hitting partner, and if there was an open slot, I'd play. I followed her around the world and watched her. When she lost, I understood why, and I made sure I wouldn't lose the same way. That's how I started to move so fast up the rankings, because I learned the lessons from Venus's losses instead of the hard way from my own. It was as, it was as if I were playing her matches, too. I'm a good mimic. Growing up, I tried to copy Pete Sampras. Well, she definitely did. You know, best serve in the history of the women's game. Continuing, I loved Monica Sellis, and then I studied Monica Sellis. I watched, I listened, then I attacked. But if I hadn't been in, in Venus's shadow, I would never be who I am. When someone said I was just the little sister, that's when I got, that, that's when I got really fired up. I started playing tennis with the goal of winning the U.S. Open. I didn't think past that. That was in 1999 when she won. And then I just kept winning. I remember when I passed Martina Hingis's Grand Slam count, then Celis's. And then I tied Billie Jean King, who was such an inspiration for me because of how she has pioneered gender equality in all sports. Then it was climbing over the Chris Everett Martina Navratilova mountain. There are people who say I'm not the GOAT because I didn't pass Margaret Court's record of 24 Grand Slam titles which she achieved before the open era that began in 1968. Okay, just stepping away for a moment. Anybody that makes this argument, you know, I was going to get to this later, but let's just go ahead and get to this now. And I've said this for years, the last several. Serena Williams does not need that record to be the greatest player of all time. She could lose the first round of the next 200 Grand Slam tournaments. Just, I'm not even going to address it, especially given... You know, Court's off-the-court record, Margaret Court's off-court record, and the fact that a lot of those Margaret Court titles were Australian Opens that officially count, but they were basically local invitationals back in the day. Anybody that seriously uses that argument to say Serena's not the best is just a bad-faith argument. People that do not know what they're talking about. If you think that, you are wrong, and you need to reevaluate. <laughs> anyway... Continuing the story, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want that record. Obviously, I do. 
but day to day, I'm really not thinking about her. If I'm in a Grand Slam final, then yes, I am thinking about that record. Maybe I thought about it too much, and that didn't help. Yeah, Serena, some of Serena's toughest losses have been because she thought about it too much. The Vinci U.S. Open Grand Slam match, when she was going for the Grand Slam, that comes to mind. She was tight as a drum that day. Anyway, the way I see it, I should have had 30-plus Grand Slams. Yep. I had my chances after coming back from giving birth. I went from a C-section to a second pulmonary embolism to a Grand Slam final. I played while breastfeeding. I played through postpartum depression. But I didn't get there. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I didn't show up the way I should have or could have. That's actually interesting to hear from Serena there. But I showed up 23 times, and that's fine. Actually, it's extraordinary. But these days, if I have to choose between building my tennis resume and building my family, I choose the latter. Earlier in my career, I never thought about having kids. There were times when I've wondered if I should ever bring kids into this world with all its problems. I was never that confident or comfortable around babies or children, and I figured that if I ever did have a baby, I would have people taking care of it. It. 24-7. I'm not going to lie, I definitely have a lot of support, but I'm also an incredibly hands-on mother. My husband will tell you I am too hands-on. In five years, Olympia has only spent one 24-hour period away from me. This past year, while I was recovering from a hamstring injury, I got to pick her up from school four or five days a week, and I always looked forward to seeing her face light up when she walked out of the building and saw me waiting there for her. The fact is that nothing is a sacrifice for me when it comes to Olympia. It all just makes sense. I want to teach her how to tie her shoes, how to read, where babies come from, and about God, just like my mom taught me. As she grows, it's something different every month. Lately, she's been into watching baking shows, which we do together. Now we bake with Play-Doh, which is so much fun. She loves this game called The Floor is Lava, where you have to do whatever you can to avoid touching the ground. I love setting up my gym for the game, arranging my step-up boxes and weight machines like an obstacle course. Whatever she likes, I like. I think tennis, by comparison, has always felt like a sacrifice, though it's one I enjoyed making. When you're younger, you see kids having fun, and you want to do that stuff, but you know you have to be on the court, hoping that one day it will all pay off. I got pushed hard by my parents. Yes, you did. Nowadays, so many parents say, let your kids do what they want. Well, that's not what got me where I am. Oh my, yes, that would be true. You know, this is me commentating on this, but, you know, Richard, the story is well known about how Richard Williams had a kid, not for the, for the joys of having a child, but so he could have a human being that he would shape to win tennis tournaments. But anyway, I didn't rebel as a kid. I worked hard and I followed the rules. I do want to push Olympia, not in tennis, but in whatever captures her interest but I don't want to push too hard. I'm still trying to figure out that balance. In my own life, 
the balance has been slowly shifting towards Serena Ventures. I always say that I'm a sponge. At night, I go to bed and I squeeze myself out so that the next day I can take up as much new information as I can. Every morning, I'm so excited to walk downstairs to my office and jump onto Zooms and start reviewing decks of companies we're considering investing in. We're a small but growing firm of six people scattered between Florida, where I mainly live, Texas, and California. I started investing nine years ago, and I really fell in love with early stage, whether it's pre-seed funding, where you're investing in just an idea, or seed, where the idea has already been turned into a product. I wrote one of the very first checks for Masterclass. Interesting. That's a, if you don't know, that's an online video tutorial series. Dear listeners, it's one of 16 unicorns, companies valued at more than $1 billion, that Serena Ventures has funded, along with Tonal, Impossible Foods, Noom, and Asuzu, E-S-U-S-U, to name a few. Obviously not familiar with that word. This year we raised $111 million of outside financing from banks, private individuals, and family offices. 78% of our portfolio happens to be companies started by women and people of color because that's who we are. On the other hand, my husband is white, and it's important to me to be inclusive of everyone. Just to... Anyway... Well, you know, not going to go there. Serena Ventures has been an all-female business until recently when we brought in our first guy, a diversity hire. Gotta love Serena saying hiring a white male is a diversity hire. But hey, I'm just, you know, she brought that up. So just commenting on what she said there. A few years ago, I was at a conference organized by J.P. Morgan Chase, where I watched a talk between Jamie Dimon and Karen Seidman Becker, the CEO of the security company Clear. Uh, Karen explained that less than 2% of all VC money went to women. I figured that she misspoke. I thought, there's no way that 98% of that capital is going to men. I approached her afterward, and she confirmed it. I kind of understood then and there that someone who looks like me needs to start writing the big checks. Yep. Sometimes like attracts like. Men are writing those big checks to one another, and in order for us to change that, more people who look like me need to be in that position, giving money back to themselves. I'm so grateful to women like Karen, as well as Sheryl Sandberg and others who have mentored me. It's important to have women like that who believe in you and push you to think bigger and do bigger. Yep. Let's see. In the last year, Alexis and I have been trying to have another child, and we recently got some information from my doctor that put my mind at ease and made me feel that whenever we're ready, we can add to our family. I definitely don't want to be pregnant again as an athlete. I need to be two feet into tennis or two feet out. So Serena making some news there that she might be a two-time mom. This spring, I had the itch to get back on the court for the first time in seven months. As I, uh, I was talking to Tiger Woods, 
who's a friend, and I told him I needed his advice on my tennis career. I said, I don't know what to do. I think I'm over it, but maybe I'm not over it. He's Tiger, and he was adamant that I'd be a beast the same way he is. He said, Serena, what if you just gave it two weeks? You don't have to commit to anything. You just go out on the court every day for two weeks and give it your all and see what happens. I said, all right, I think I can do that. And I did not do it. But a month later, I gave it a try, and it felt magical to pick up a racket again. And I was good. I was really good. I went back and forth about whether to play Wimbledon and the U.S. Open after that. As I've said, this whole evolution thing has not been easy for me. I don't particularly like to think about my legacy. I get asked about it a lot, and I never know exactly what to say. But I'd like to think that thanks to opportunities afforded to me, women athletes feel that they can be themselves on the court. They can play with aggression and pump their fists. They can be strong, yet beautiful. That used to be a WTA slogan, by the way. They can wear what they want and say what they want and kick butt and be proud of it all. I've made a lot of mistakes in my career. Mistakes are learning experiences, and I embrace those moments. I'm far from perfect, but I've also taken a lot of criticism, and I'd like to think I went through some hard times as a professional tennis player so that the next generation could have it easier. Yeah, I mean, Serena Williams is why there's Hawkeye in tennis. Over the years, I hope that people come to think of me as symbolizing something bigger than tennis. I admire Billie Jean because she transcended her sport. I'd like it to be... Oops. I'd like it to be, Serena is this and she's that, and she was a great tennis player, and she won those slams. Unfortunately, I wasn't ready to win Wimbledon this year, and I don't know if I will be ready to win New York. But I'm going to try. And the lead-up tournaments will be fun. I know there's a fan fantasy that I, that I might have tied Margaret that day in London, and maybe then maybe beat her record in New York, and then at the trophy ceremony say, See ya! I get that. It's a good fantasy. But I'm not looking for some ceremonial final on-court moment. Oh, but she is going to get that. You better believe it. The first week of the U.S. Open, or the second week, that is going to be a heck of a scene right there. I'm terrible at goodbyes, the world's worst, but please know that I am more grateful for you than I can ever express in words. You have carried me to so many wins and so many trophies. I'm going to miss that version of me, that girl who played tennis. And I'm going to miss you. Oh, and that's the end of the story, so I'll read that a little better. I'm going to miss that version of me, that girl who played tennis, and I'm going to miss you. I don't know if that was any better. Okay, but there you go. That is the Vogue story in full. Yeah, so the news today, Serena Williams going to be retiring after the 2022 United States Open. Yeah, so this is the part where I don't really know what to say. So let's just pull. I'm I'm not I'm probably gonna forget something, but you know let's move to 
you know, Serena Williams' tennis career, and then we can get into the cultural stuff after that. So, let me just pull up her stats here. I mean, do I even need to read the stats anymore? I mean, we all know that she's the greatest player of all time. Let's see. Not sure if this includes yesterday, but 855 wins in singles, 73 career titles, number one player in the world, 23-time Grand Slam champion, Olympic gold medalist, uh, a five-time WTA finals winner, and she's got the Grand Slam in doubles. Let's see, how many doubles majors does she have? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 majors in doubles with uh, Venus Williams. And a two-time mixed doubles winner at the majors. And a Fed Cup winner and Hopman Cup. Nobody cares about Hopman Cup. Uh... Uh, so statistically, there's not really a debate here. She's only fifth in the overall title race, but who cares? You know, Serena, especially later in her career, she really didn't play the tour, so that's why she didn't win more titles. And she was injured um, early in her career, which we can get into. So, you know, you know, I didn't come into tennis until 2008, so... Serena's sort of rise into the figure that she is. I don't really have a living memory of that, but just um, uh, taking a look here. So, you know, she came into the sport in the mid-90s as a youngster when she was being coached by Richard Williams. You know, she won the U.S. Open in 99, and then she didn't win again for two and a half years. Um, You know, I'm looking here. You know, 2000 did not win a major. 2001 didn't win a major then she had the Serena Slam you know not to minimize that the first one 2004 did not win a major 2006 didn't win a major 2005 2007 she only won two total majors and 2008 only won a single major that year so from 2004 to 2008 those five seasons she only had three major titles you know, at that point in Serena's career, you know, she had already established herself as a legend, but she had some injuries and some consistency issues. And even some of those tournaments that she won, one of the Australian Opens in there, I believe, you know, I think she won it well unseated. Don't quote me on that. But it was really, you know, Serena did not become the legend statistically until after she hired Muradoglu after she lost to Virginia Rosano in the first round of the 2012 Roland Garros. And after that, in the five years after she hired Mur- Muradoglu, she won 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 majors. And in the decade plus prior to that, she had won 1, 2, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. So thirteen and ten, and ten and five. So Serena's burst from 2012 to the 2017 Australian Open that she mentioned in her Vogue piece. That is when she made the case that she was the greatest player of all time. That stretch run, that five-year stretch, 
And, you know, in the last five years, very respectable. Four Grand Slam finals and two additional semis. Um, yeah, thoughts are not really coming to me right now, but, you know, just safe to say, you know, okay, here's one. You know, what's striking to me about Serena's career is that she didn't have a rival for pretty much most of her career besides Venus, and we can get to that. She had a winning record against pretty much everyone she played. Um, one of her only challengers in her career was Hennen, but that was early in Serena's career during the period when she wasn't playing that well. You know, maybe Azarenka got a couple wins, but really... You know, Serena ruled in an era where her peers were unable to match her ability level. And, you know, that led to accusations of the WTA being weak, of number ones that weren't Serena being fake. Um, and, you know, people have said that... I, I, I do think that the WTA is deeper now than it was during Serena's era. But, you know... Is it because Serena was too good, or was it because Serena's playing against firefighters and plumbers, as you would say? I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can blame Serena's competition level. I mean, she had plenty of great matches, like um, Dementieva, 2009 Wimbledon semi. That was a great match. Again, she's had some good finals, and she won them. So I think. Sitting here alive, I think it was more of Serena being too good than her opposition in the 2000s decade being too weak. Her biggest rivalry was with Venus, but that one sort of doesn't count because the sort of familial issues are in there. You know, they never really played their best against each other, and sometimes one would pull out before facing the other, so that whole head-to-head series was kind of manipulated for a while, so that doesn't really count to me. Um, You know, Serena's difficult moments, they've been well-documented on the court. The 2009 U.S. Open uh, uh, ball person, the Serena lineswoman incident, we don't really have to get into that. You guys know what happened. Um, You know, a couple years later, telling the umpire, you're the, aren't you the one that screwed me over last time here? And it wasn't. And then a couple years ago, the Osaka match, when the overly officious Carlos Ramos gave her some questionable penalties. Serena does have an ego, and especially in a moment like that, she made it about herself, and she did not make it about Osaka, who won that tournament. The 2018 U.S. Open, I believe. And... You know, Osaka's talked about the mental health struggles that she had because of Serena's behavior that day. So, yeah, I mean, Serena said it in her piece, but she is not perfect. And off the court and on the court, she's always marched to a different drum. But I respect that about Serena. I think that's fine. You know, and she, you know, getting into the cultural part of it. She's on the LeBron James tier of cultural relevance. She's one of the most recognized sports people in America and the world. I mean, she breaks through the sports news into the mainstream news. I mean, this news today is going to get covered by 
all the mainstream news outlets you'd assume. You know, let's see if it's on. Let me just check a one right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Serena is the front page on the New York Times. Um, I'm surely she's going to be on the front page of ESPN right now. And, um, yep, yeah, there it is. It's going to make all the radio updates today. So, she's a huge American cultural figure. And she's definitely earned that. And she's been a voice for, you know, people that... She's been a voice for black people in America. And she's been a voice for, you know, that culture. She crashed a country club sport. And for a while, people didn't like that. You know, the Indian Wells incident from, you know, 20 plus years ago. Uh, So... You know, uh, black athletes like the Williams sisters coming into a country club sport and owning it. I mean, think of think of how much Ve- Venus and Serena are adored at a place like the All England Club, which is run by old, stuffy, rich white guys from Britain. You know, and she came into that system and she became one of the best to ever do it in that system. So... For that, particularly for that segment of America, which I admit is not me, you know, she spoke to that. She gave that segment of America a voice. Um, so, Serena's not playing today, but she is playing tomorrow in Canada. So, she will face the media in the on-court interview and in the press center tomorrow. And I'm sure she, you, you bet your butt she's going to be asked about this. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more to get into with the Serena story, but I've been talking for 35 minutes, most of it reading that story. But I'm, I'm getting the sense that it's time to take a break here. Anything else on Serena? I mean, we can do... I mean, there's going to be a 20-part ESPN docuseries on Serena eventually. So, yes, there's stuff that I have not said. There's stuff that when I hit the stop recording button here that I'm going to remember that I didn't say. But, you know, just safe to say that Serena Williams is the greatest tennis player of all time. She's better than Federer. She's better than, than Nadal. She's better than Djokovic. She's better than Groff, Billie Jean, um, um, Navratilova, Evert, Court. She's better than all of them. Of all the human beings on this planet that have picked up a tennis racket in the last 200 years that the sport's been around, 150, whatever, she's the best. She is the number one. That is indisputable. My number one thing when I follow the pros is I obsess about the results on the court. For her, there's no one better. No one that did it better. The great Serena Williams, everyone. Thanks for listening.